welcome to the show with me, Dan, and my guest, Phil Legrand. Is it Legrand? Is that how you say it? It, it, I guess it would actually be Legrand, but Legrand. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't mind too much. You, you grow up with a surname like mine, <laughs> living in the UK, you get all sorts of derivations of it. Phil Legrand. It's very. It's a very Legrand name. Yeah, it, it is. Unfortunately, I'm uh, I'm only five foot eight. It didn't quite quite go with the uh, the genetics there. So I'll probably sell myself a bit short. Excuse the pun, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll call it five foot eight. <laughs> Wicked. Well, I'll just uh, for people listening, I'll just say quickly why uh, how it came about that you're on the show. Sure. Um, so yeah, um, I did a show a while, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, that was released um, where I was doing like a political compass game um with a friend of mine um and we came across a question um that was uh, in the economic section and um we we both sort of or like two monkeys like debating like something that we had no no idea about um so yeah we actually i mentioned in it like uh it'd be great to to speak to someone who knows a bit more about economic uh, economics than uh, than we do um and then uh, a mutual friend of ours or, or a family friend of mine um, and a friend of yours um, got in touch and said that you and, and recommended you for the show because of your background with um, finance and economics. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of a basic of, of how it came to be, how it is now. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess we'll sort of start with that and sort of... Um, talk about a little bit about your background in, in terms of economics. Sure. Um, so I, uh, I studied economics at, at university. That was my, my bachelor's uh, degree, just, just straight economics, mm-hmm. um, which I think, you know, at the time, I definitely grew up with an interest in it. Um, my, my dad uh, worked in banking for, for his whole life. So I think, you know, we, we kind of had a natural um, a natural interest uh, or mutual natural interest in it. Um, I, I suppose on the flip side of that, I also thought that it would it would make me more employable than, than doing something else. Um, so uh, so there, there's definitely two sides to to it. But I but I do remain um, interested in in the economy in general and how it, how it affects um, our, our daily life. And also, I think more importantly now. Um, kind of looking at changing um, the economy um, or, or certainly our policymakers changing the, the economy to, to suit, I think, our requirements now um, versus, you know, what they were when a lot of these social constructs were, um, were invented, which in a lot of cases was, you know, the best part of 100 years, going on 100 years ago now, um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely remain um, interested. But I, uh, I did a master's in in management, um, which kept me at university for for one more year, um, mainly uh, because it was a very difficult to get a job. I, I graduated uh, in two thousand nine, um, which obviously was the you know, greatest probably the greatest economic event of our, our lifetime. Yeah. So maybe 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 apart from right now, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah definitely definitely up there. Um, so so was that actually? So uh, was that climate then also not very good for for people involved in finance either? Then 
I think that a lot of um, a lot of businesses. I mean, definitely banking, right? Because that mm. was the the hardest hit sector, mm. um, uh, and and you know, rightly so. And we can we can definitely come on to to why. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I found it a little bit difficult. I also think that at the time I was possibly a little immature and um it was probably a good thing for me just to, to have another year at university and and i felt very ready by the end of that to um uh, to, to leave um and then I, I went straight into the the city uh, after i left university um and and became a sort of trainee financial advisor um which was was pretty interesting it was quite um a fast-paced business um kind of all about generating your own clients and um that was really the the, the kind of priority there um but uh, you know i felt pretty co- confident and comfortable that my um my background if you like my, my degree was was going to help me in that mm. um and then shortly after that probably about 18 months or so i got offered a job in in jersey um where uh, I have a lot of family over here, Jersey and the Channel Islands, that is. Um, I've been, you know, on holiday here many, many times as a kid and kind of felt nice and nice and comfortable. So it was more so the move here than, than the job. I ended up at a, at a bank um, uh, just doing some, some pretty menial lending um, work. And then uh, I... I managed to secure a job at a, at a much bigger bank um as a, as a wealth manager which is now um kind of what i've been doing going on uh it's probably the best part of part of six years um it's just really advising clients on on what to do with their money uh, what not to do with their money and um yeah obviously that on a day-to-day basis is, is kind of all about distilling what's going on in the world and um what our what our views are as um as an institution and, and trying to help clients in, in that specific regard mm. so apart from the fact that um your dad was a banker like what mm. uh what do you i guess it's more of a, a more of a recent question as opposed to the the initial reason for going into it but like what do you enjoy about your your job and your the jobs you've done over the years because i can imagine there's people out there um who would be like that sounds like the most boring thing <laughs> um what what Hopefully do you you're not one of them <laughs> <laughs> no but i'm finding it very interesting but um but yeah um what what do you what personal satisfaction or what do you enjoy about it um whether it's uh on the whole or or, or on the day-to-day sort of level i love the human interaction um in in what i do i've moved out of uh, uh directly advising clients before mm. and um it it wasn't something that i found a, a particularly natural affinity with mm. um so I, I would say that is the, the kind of main bit that that interests me um hearing about people's stories is is so um so fascinating to me i, I come from a family with a pretty uh diverse background and um that's probably given me a lot of insight a lot a lot of ways to relate to a lot of different people um and you know my, my parents have lived all, all around the world although I, I was brought up in the UK for the vast majority of my life so, so I think that is definitely the the main thing and I also think you know there's a bit of um 
there's a bit of a kind of competitive sport in 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 what that I, what I do. I grew up playing a, a, a lot of sport, and I'm, you know, if you ask any of my my friends or my wife, I'd definitely be categorised as a competitive person in in general. Um, and you know, when you are um, advising a, a client on, on on what they need, you know, it's obviously the first and first and foremost um, requirement is that you match up to to what they're trying to achieve. That's absolutely the the, the goal, and and that mm. gives me a lot of a, a lot of pleasure and and um, uh, an enjoyment in in managing to do that. But on the flip side of it, there's also a competition of right. You know, I want to um, make sure that I'm uh you know taking this client through the full array of what we've got available to us in our in our kit locker and um how uh you know how we can help them to get where they need to go um whilst you know getting me to to also where I, where I want to go as well so i think I, I think that sort of sales element of of what i was trying to avoid using the word sales but it's difficult to um to do that uh, that that element definitely gives me a lot of um a lot of interest Okay, so it's also uh, look personal challenge as well. Like you have a lot yeah. of different sort of challenges to come up with when you're sort of advising on particular things. Exactly. Nice. Okay. Um, well, I think I might take it uh, just to give a bit of context to um, what I referenced to before. Uh, the, the fact that we were I was discussing uh, economics very briefly with someone in a previous yeah. podcast. Um, I was wondering if I could put the the thing to you, the the statement mm. that we debated very very briefly, okay. um, and see if you could just shed a bit of light. So this sort of, I guess, would be a bit more of a educational type thing of just like understanding what these what these words mean and what how sure. they relate to us, uh, you know, the average Joe and Jane on the ground. Um, but the the so. Uh, Basically, the the political compass is just an online uh, sort of quiz where you get to see mm-hmm. how uh, you answer like 60, 60 questions or whatever, and you see um, uh, how left or right wing you are, how authoritarian or libertarian you are. Um, and this, you, and you're given statements, and then you say disagree, um, strongly disagree, agree, and strongly agree. Um, so the 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 one we were discussing was um controlling inflation is more important than controlling unemployment so that okay. controlling inflation is more important than controlling unemployment um interesting so i i we both really didn't know fully what inflation was um so my friend said unemployment his sort of reasoning was that unemployment's bad and uh you know we've got to have people employed um and my i i i agreed with the statement that um controlling inflation is more important because my limited understanding of inflation is that it's sort of controlled centrally centrally um by um, Bank of England or whatever central bank is in the country. And that determines um, sort of like prices for things and like loans, like interest rates for, for loans and things like that. So I felt like it 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 made more of a, a macro impact. It made more of a wider impact that would then trickle down, I guess, to the unemployment. But I don't know if you can shed a little light of our <laughs> the clear confusion that we have. Over yeah, there. yeah, of course, of course. I think there's you know a few a few bits to pick apart 
um, there. But I think you know the, the first thing that we we should definitely do is define what um, what inflation is. Mm. Um, so so inflation isn't something that we control. It's a it's a product. So inflation would be the the kind of sustained increase in in prices of various things. Um, those things change depending on what measure of inflation you look at. Um, there's something which is called the the retail price index RPI, which um, you might come across. Um, there's other measures indices that that have been put together to to better measure inflation, if you like, as uh, life has uh, has moved on. So sometimes they um, effectively the 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 measure is what is the price of a normal basket of goods and services right. um, at, at a given period of time. So, so if a kilogram of apples pay, uh, it costs one pound one year and it costs one pound 10 the next year, then it, the inflation is a 10% increase. Is it, that? It, exa- exactly. Right. Ex- exactly. Um, so, so that, that's, that is effectively in very simple um language exactly what what inflation is so as as i say coming back to the point that i made right at the start is that we don't we don't have control over that itself but we can do things to control it or to try and and control it and Um, influence it exactly so at the moment we have what is historically uh, certainly in the UK and in most you know Western developed um, economies, we have incredibly low inflation, um, and that's quite a, a surprising thing because for the last um, I guess what are we twenty twenty so for the last you know eleven twelve years we've had incredibly low interest rates. Um, historically, there has been a relationship between interest rates and inflation, Mm. which has meant that if inflation is going up and up and up, interest rates are a good way to control that. So they are are in turn normally set higher and higher in order to try and bring the inflation back down because what interest rates effectively do or what they should do, and this is, I think, should is the kind of operative at the moment mm. um it is influence it influence people's habits so right. where you see interest rates being very low ordinarily you should see people going out and spending money mm. and borrowing loads of money mm. um and then what happens is that as people spend money because the trade-off for that person is um, well let's say it's it's easy for for us to relate to this now but Right now, you know, what do you get in the, on the high street for, for putting your money in a savings account if you're fortunate enough to have savings? Well, you pretty much get nothing um, uh, at the moment. So the trade-off there is, well, either I put my money in the bank account and get nothing or I go out and do something with it. I go and I invest it somewhere else. I go and I, you know, do home improvements to my house. I, I buy a car. I buy clothes you know, consumer spending increases. And as that consumer spending increases, the theory would be that inflation should in turn increase. That has not been happening. <laughs> the- so, so, so has 
so the when people go out and spend more they feed yeah. more into the wider economy exactly and then why does inflation then go up why does the the bunch of apples then go up what is it because people uh because the the supermarket that's selling them uh, realizes that um, there's a high demand and therefore they can charge it, more it, it, exactly right. exactly so if you imagine you and i have both decided at the same time that we um we don't want to put our money in the bank we want to go and spend it and, and buy an apple mm-hmm. um then there's two of us buying over the same apple mm. the supermarket's going to be able to charge more for for, for the apple mm. um so yeah absolutely absolutely right okay um so that's so that's controlling inflation. So I mean, do you have an opinion on that statement then? The sort of controlling inflation is more important than controlling unemployment, or is it too too complex an issue to really have an opinion on? It it is a very complex issue, and and again, it it would come back to, to what the economic theory has been. Um, no, normally, you would see. A, uh, an inverse relationship between inflation and unemployment. So what I mean by that is that as unemployment decreases and more people are, are working, um, inflation should increase. And that kind of comes back, to, well, it does come back to exactly the point that we were just discussing. If you've got more people in employment, you should have more people with more disposable income and therefore they should be going out and spending more money. Prices should go up, and inflation um, will, will therefore go up. So, so why is inflation for the customer? Why is inflation a bad thing? Because the average person, if they're like, right, you know, ninety uh, percent of my community are employed, so that's good. Yeah. Well, let's just say ninety ninety nine percent of my community are employed. That's all good. Um, but apples, uh, they've barely gone up at all. Like, why? Why is that a bad thing? Why could it be a bad thing that inflation has barely budged? Well, that's a that's a really interesting point, actually, and an incredibly complex one. But mm. it it does it does kind of bring me on to a theory that I I harbour, you know, quietly is mm. that it, it is probably the case that although uh, again, and we, I don't want to I don't want to kind of tread on loads of very complex issues here, but it <laughs> yeah. but it is. But, but it is important. Um, as I said before, you know, we've had 12 years of really, really low interest rates, which has meant that money's been super cheap. You know, borrowing has gone up mm. inextricably. And it, it, it's, you know, it, it, I think you, you see the stats reported in the, um, in the news about how much uh, credit card debt the UK has. Mm. Um, uh, you know, people have really been taking advantage of that. Um, so the main thing, sorry, just to interject, so sorry, the main things that yeah. people borrow for is stuff like uh, starting a business or uh, yeah. building a house. It's not like the everyday stuff. It's more like big spending in the economy, is it? Uh, well, you, do you mean generally at the moment? Is that what, well, what like people what, are doing? What, um, I mean, like in general, sort of like uh, when interest rates go down, yeah. What do people generally borrow for, or is it just is it also just the everyday stuff like using credit cards and um, for for whatever it is? Yeah, I th- I think definitely the the essentially everything that, that that's on offer um, that's that's shown at the moment by the amount that, that credit card debt has increased. Mm. Um, that that's the 
um, comparison that I was that I was drawing there. But okay. yeah, like 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 I say, it's not all bad. You know, if, mm. if interest rates are low, then you do get people. You should get people starting more businesses. You should get people um, doing home improvements to to their house, or um, you know, being able to afford a mortgage. Because if interest rates were uh, you know double or, or triple what they are, which isn't historically that strange mm. um it would be pretty difficult I, I don't think i would be able to afford the, the mortgage that we have if the interest rates or certainly my monthly payments doubled or, or tripled mm. and i'm sure a lot of other people would find themselves in in that situation so um so yes i, I would say on uh, on the whole interest rates go down generally people will will borrow for for whatever for whatever purpose mm. So what's your what's your theory then? Back to sort of your mm. feelings then about you know we, we mentioned the sort of the fact that inflation doesn't really go up much, but people have can borrow well they can borrow the same amount, but they don't have to pay back as much. So I guess if uh, interest rates are low and yeah. inflation is low, for the average person, it's like great. I'm just overall I'm spending less. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess to carry on sort of what you and not and not just yeah, not just for for the everyday person either. So so interest rates are set centrally in in the UK. In any case, are set centrally by the um, by the Bank of England, um, and that's a you know that's an independent function away from um, uh, away from Parliament, which you know again is another is another point, but it's it's an important one, so that there can't be political motivations for for setting the interest rate, although that sometimes feeds in and mm. is reported on pretty pretty widely and certainly in the US where Trump has, has kind of um, been pretty vocal about what he thinks that the, the, the interest rates um, should be but coming back to, to, to that it's not just the consumer that's going to benefit from cheap debt it's also the you know the small businesses the medium businesses the larger ones and ultimately the government and their um, uh, and their institutions there their state bodies. Um, so, I, I my my personal theory is that we are so indebted as a as a world mm. that um, it may well, you know, I think it's pretty plausible that you you are seeing lower and lower interest rates because that ultimately um, allows the the government to to repay less in terms of what the what the interest is on the on the debt that they're um, borrowing. Right. Okay. And and in terms of like the Bank of England controlling interest rates, so is that for the <clears> whole country then? Do they have to set like, can they set like a a limit for how, because obviously banks are like private institutions, but can they just say across the board, it can't, it can't go above this amount, the interest rates type thing? Or? It, so they, so they set what's called the base rate, um, which is the minimum effectively that, that you would, you would see referenced. So when you go to the easiest way to relate it for, for people listening will be if you have a mortgage, um, you will generally play, uh, pay base plus an amount. And that right. amount is uh, the cost of the bank's financing because they don't borrow at that base rate level because they're borrowing from other banks. Mm. Um, that, that covers their cost and then obviously their, their revenue on, on top of that. Right, so a lot of these institutions are sort of debt upon debt type thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I used to work for for a very large global bank, um, and uh, their one of their biggest customers was was themselves because 
banks spend a lot of their a lot of their time, you know, borrowing um, money from each other to finance things that 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 they um, the investments that that they want to they want to do. Um, it's uh, I don't I don't necessarily know how understood it is by by people, but um, uh, that that is effectively what a what a what a bank will um, will try and achieve. Okay. So, so what's your your theory of 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 this then? What's your sort of, I guess you sort of seem to be allude, you were alluding to it before, but like uh, maybe a more positive way forward that we could be handling all of this. You, you mean the global economy? Yeah. Generally, well, yeah. You, you were sort of talking about your your theory, or, or you already laid it out, and you were sort of no, about no, your... no. No, and if I have, I haven't done it very, very well. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I think that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to take time to introduce a, another acronym and, and, and concept, which is which is GDP, mm-hmm. um, which we see, you know, reported on all the time and quite a lot of the time. If the media is saying growth, that is generally um, GDP that they are referring to, which is. Um, uh, effectively, it, it is the sum of the value of the of the goods and services which a um, which a country produces um, mm. within its borders. And again, it's had a few iterations and, and, and additions to it. Um, the interesting thing about GDP is that it was created uh, again. You know, the best part of a hundred years ago, I think, mm. um, as as a, a way that countries in the wake of, of World War II could sort of pit themselves uh, against one another, but also to say, uh, right, well, uh, you know, France needs to rebuild. Um, how can we, uh, you know, what, what security have we got? Because France has been, you know, decimated by, um, by, by the Nazis. Um, we, we can say, well, they're, you know, they produce this amount on an annual basis, and on that basis, um, we'll lend to them, um, sort of like that being their security, right. um, and 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 knowing that they do produce that much, so they're sort of good for the money, if if, if that makes sense. Right. And at the time, you had you know concepts like the the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank were being created in order to to fund a lot of this, um, a lot of this building. So almost like um, uh, these countries represent the 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 person that goes into a bank and tries to justify why the bank exactly. should loan him money, whereas you know with France, for example, they're trying to justify to the rest of the world why they should be uh, why they should be loaned money. Exactly, right. and that and that still and that still happens. So GDP yeah. was a real a really neat way of saying, um, you know, this is how good this country is year on year. They've they've increased their GDP by four or five percent, and um, China's probably the you know leading light in in that sense at the moment. They've got really high, you know, comparatively really high GDP, um, and that must mean that they're improving as a, as a country year on year. <laughs> The, the negative thing about um, GDP is that it misses out on so many other things that, yeah. that we think are important. So um, uh, I, I don't know if, um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, you've seen this already today, but um, there, there was a, a piece in the news um, about Marcus Rashford writing to, to MPs and talking about um, free school meals. Um, you know that that being cut over the over the summer months because uh, normally that wouldn't be in place for, for kids over the summer but of course with 
coronavirus at the moment. A lot of kids are, are still up, still going to be at home over, uh, um, or sorry, uh, going to be in school over the summer period. Yeah, I vaguely, I think I caught a bit of Keir Starmer mentioning it um, in the yeah. Prime Minister's questions about that. Yeah. And and broadly, that's that's about the um, that's about the welfare system. Mm. But GDP makes no provision for for welfare. So mm. um, you might look at some some countries like uh, some of the Nordics and, and Scandinavian countries who have great welfare systems, um, but that doesn't necessarily feed through to their their GDP. Mm. I think the most famous, uh, I guess. I guess um, uh, contrarian country when it when it comes to uh, GDP is is Bhutan. It's fairly um, widely reported that um, they don't measure themselves by GDP growth. They measure themselves using a, a happiness index, mm. um, which is it's a really novel way of doing things. A lot of people, you know, a lot of the detractors of that type of a method would say that um, uh, it's very, you know, happiness is ultimately subjective, which, which is of course true. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, that, that sort of a concept, I think, and coming back around to what is my you know, worldview, um, that sort of a concept of baking in these general principles, which I think broadly speaking, everybody agrees on mm. um, to quote, to quote Marcus Rashford today. Um, he said, you know, from whatever side of the political, I'm paraphrasing, but whatever side of the political landscape you're on, um, can't we just agree that no child should be hungry? Mm. Um, well, well, of course, most most people would agree with that. Um, so, some I think my my general view is that you know whether you're whether you're uh, blue or red, whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever whatever you prescribe to, there are certain things that every single person thinks is important, and there must be a better way of of doing things than just focusing on growing our country um, as a as a, a means to the, to to an end. Yeah, sure. So why? I mean, it it seems completely sensible to me, and I've heard these sort of things before. Um, I guess a lot of confusion starts of like, well, why hasn't it happened already? What, what, where is, why, why aren't it, why isn't it happening politically? And why, why hasn't, yeah, why hasn't it happened already? Why do you think that is? Well, I think, I think ultimately that you've, you've got a lot of um, power and wealth concentrated in, in um, a few relatively speaking a few people. Mm. Um, And, and what that does, of course, with, with those things is, it comes being able to serve your your interests and ultimately unfortunately um the interests of of one's shareholder if you're a if you're a company um which um a, a good example of that would be as uh, so coming background to to um the interest rates and, and borrowing and, and debt and, and that kind of thing um after uh, 2008 2009 and and is currently happening at the moment. A lot of countries engaged in um, uh, in a form of what's called monetary expansion, so um, increasing the amount of money in the economy. Whether you wanted to call that quantitative easing, as they did in um, in, in America, um, I think that's what they call it in America or Europe. I can't actually remember, but effectively, it's it's a crude way of injecting money into the economy by allowing uh, banks to borrow very very cheaply. Um, but, but ultimately trying to get that into the hands of people mm. uh, on the on boots on the ground and giving them more money to spend so they can um, that they can go out and 
and, and increased consumer spending and then you know employment will go uh, go up and uh, all of these great things will, will come as a, as a result of that the reality was actually quite different um, uh, one of the major criticisms of, of that of that program was that um, what you had was a lot of banks being able to lend cheaply um, but uh, lending that money to companies who then didn't really have anything to do with it. Um, so, so instead of, uh, you know, allocating, and obviously speaking in general terms, but instead of allocating that money to new investment or good new investment um, or increasing their workforce or improving their technology, a lot of companies engaged in what are called stock buybacks, um, which you, you may have heard of, but in, in simple terms would be where a company goes into the, the stock market and buys back its own shares. And what this does is effectively increase the share price, which the only person that it ultimately um, will, uh, will benefit, not the only person, but certainly the, the um, uh, majority of the benefit will go to the, the shareholder, of course, because their value is, is increased. Um, so, so that's a good example of where um, actually the purpose of the of, of the program, if you like, wasn't being adhered to. Um, so, so, quite so um, well. Just to sort of pick apart what you say, uh, and sure. if I'm wrong, let me know. Um, no, sorry, there was a lot. So, you think that um, in simple terms, um, your theory for why we haven't changed to, let's say, a more because you're not you're not looking to replace GDP. You just want you just think it's extremely limited, and that there, there needs to be all these other factors that come into yeah. play, like uh, how healthy you know how the child mortality rate, or you know uh, uh, how whatever else it, it is, how how well educated um, the the people are, and um, uh, crime rates and things like that. All these other things of just overall well being of a country, um, and and the reason you think that it hasn't changed is um i guess a more cynical approach of saying that there's too many powerful people that would lose out if if it started to change yeah i i I would say so um you know i think i think that wealth redistribution is probably one of the the most important things that you'll you'll see maybe coming to a head in the next 10 or 10 or 20 years i i i'm not a socialist by by any means but i don't think it's outrageous for us to say um the fact that you know countries whole countries value is held in the hand of one person mm. uh, for example that, that quite often gets gets trotted out as a statistic of you know elon musk is worth x and that's the same amount as uh, you know the, the the gdp of um of a country um i just i don't think that's right um, I think it's right that you know people with great ideas should be compensated appropriately for those for those ideas, um, but but I don't think it's right that that should happen. And then at the bottom end of the spectrum, um, you know, kids are going without without lunches and and um, uh, and people aren't getting opportunities. Sure. Okay. Well, just to play devil's advocate for a moment. Um, yeah. What about when you take someone like Bill Gates? like someone who has amassed an unbelievable fortune. And on the face of it, you know, um, you think, well, he shouldn't have this much money. Well, him and, you know, his family shouldn't have this much mm. money. 
but the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, like the amount they've done for the global poor. I mean, I know there's a lot of conspiracies out there. Um, yeah. They're injecting people with diseases and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't believe that. But I think I my view is that they are trying to do as much good as they can with with their massive amount of wealth. Um, yeah. So do you not feel that the people like this, like the, the way I've sort of changed over the years. So I used to be um, a lot more left wing. But then it was people like Bill Gates um, that made me think, well, it, it's not always an issue someone having a lot of money, um, mm-hmm. like a, a horrendous amount of money. It's it's getting it into the right people's hands and it's the right people. It's when it's when bad people have a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess where sort of, I know you mentioned not, you don't, you're not a socialist or anything like that, but I guess the problem with the sort of this redistribution type idea is that people like Bill Gates, who are extremely smart, but also extremely motivated to help people, yep. he wouldn't have the resources to do as much good as he's done um, if it was redistributed earlier on. Um, yep. What's your sort of thoughts on that? No, I, I, I agree with you entirely. And I think if, you know, if, if everybody did... Uh, prescribed to a similar um, mindset as as the the foundation that they that they run and, and the work that they've done for sure, uh, you know that would be that would be fantastic. Mm. I think I think where I come at it from is that um, I, I hold a, a central view that um, people are so um, affected by their um, start in life. Yeah. Um, I heard a horrendous statistic the other day that um, uh, I can't recall the actual numbers within it, but it is something like, um, you know, we expel X amount of children from school every year in the UK and an unacceptable amount of those children will go on to, to go into prison. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it's things like that that um, I, 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 you know there's one there's one side of the argument which is you know you can you can work as hard as you as you can work and if you set your mind to it you're going to achieve whatever you whatever you want to achieve and absolutely you know hard work is a is a really important thing and and it's something that we should we should all prescribe to Mm. but at the same time um it's often those people with that view who don't accept um all of the incredibly important um controlling factors Mm. that that govern you know who you are if you're born into a a single parent family if you're born in a certain postcode if you're born in you know all all of these things that i i just think it's so unfair that just because you're a human being that was born here as opposed to being born there and because you didn't have this opportunity or you didn't have this great teacher that you you didn't get the um get the same opportunity so you know whatever whatever that ends up looking like um in in terms of wealth redistribution i know there's there's lots of um there's lots of methods that are that are talked about and mooted you know one of those is universal basic income which i've heard you you sort of briefly touched on in a previous uh, a previous podcast um whatever that looks like I just think that there's a better way of doing what we're sure. what we're doing at the moment. Well, I mean, um, to to switch out my devil's advocate mode because I, I agree with mm. most, like pretty much everything you're saying. I think <laughs> just to add to it, um, 
I think this whole thing of working hard is is ridiculous, to be honest. Um, whenever mm. I talk to someone who um, has this sort of view of, of how they got their money, um, of course, it's a factor. But if you if you judged your success on um, by how hard you worked, then the 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 people in these uh, low income countries like Nepal, where I spent uh, quite a few months, uh, these women who are out in the fields slogging like 12, 13 mm. hours a day who are working very exactly. hard by that standard, they would be the richest people on earth, you know, and it's just, yeah. it's just not the case. And, and, and I think, um, this whole working hard thing is, it, it's important. Um, when you're talking on an individual level, um, and where, if someone doesn't have a good work ethic or, you know, but you can't tell someone who's grown up in, a, in an extremely, uh, uh, I don't know how to say, underprivileged household, whatever yeah. country that is in, or even in, in a country such as this, which is an extremely wealthy country where they've grown up with abuse, where they've grown up with, and, and that caused mental health problems, and they've grown up with no money. They've been uh, malnourished because they can't, their parents can't afford the right food for them. Um, it doesn't, you can't tell these people, when, even when they get to an adult stage, when they're, when they're 25, 30 or whatever, just to say to them, well, you know, you should have just worked harder, you know, working hard. It's just, it's just so limited in its view. Um, and I guess that's how, yeah, it ties back in with what you're saying. So how do you think on a, on a macro scale, on a, on a bigger level, you think that including um, health and all these other different factors um, to, to judge how how well a country is doing how do you think that will affect sort of the running of things or um this sort of inequality we see well i'd, I'd like to think that if you i think people are quite good at um responding to objectives and and targets generally mm. um that if instead of you know uh, i heard a, a great podcast um with a, a lady an economist called kate rayworth who is a uh, probably the foremost thinker in terms of what i'm saying um she she has a book called donut economics which is this idea that in, you know instead of the gdp growth just going up and that being uh, that that being the best thing in the world you know what a, what if you went to the doctor and you were told that you had a growth it, it, mm. that's how that's how she thinks of it mm. you can't just grow all the time mm. uh, and she she said something on a, on a podcast i was listening to which was you know wouldn't it be great if instead of having uh in, in times square in new york instead of having uh share prices um rotating around uh around the building um why don't they put up you know the the help uh the um, health of the rainforests or how mm. much car how much carbon new york produced that that day mm. um or or you know how many kids were lifted out of poverty or how you know what the literacy rates are of, of certain places which all of these things are again if you cross the political divide and and you know um climate change deniers aside mm. um i think if you cross the political divide these are things that people would say, yes, I want my children to be able to read. And I think that other children should be able to read. And mm. I think that children should be brought up outside of, uh, of poverty. But yeah, I, I mean, ch chances are that, that overall, um, the, the, the 
wealth would be less concentrated. It's not like we don't have enough money to do certain things. Mm. Um, a, a great example is, well, we, you know, we've seen 10 years of austerity and then all of a sudden we've, you know, we've got some of the biggest uh, globally, some of the biggest programs of investment that, that governments have ever engaged in. Mm. Um, and, and some of those are amazing and, and have been long needed in, in a lot of instances. Um, and and you, you've got people on, I think, both sides saying, well, you know, why, why aren't we doing this earlier? Why, why, why haven't we been allocating the, the funds to, to do that? And that's a, you know, that's a complex issue in itself. But, but I think that um, the concept of what I'm saying is that um, it's ultimately about choices. If mm. you want to choose to spend, uh, you know, X amount um, sending people to space, uh, that's fine. Do that. But don't do it at the expense of, um, you know, kids kids not being able to read. I think that's that's the best way that I can describe it. Yeah, sure. And it's this psychology, I guess, of if people are, like you said, with the, you know, Times Square stuff, you know, once people start, you know, governments and just the general public start to actually uh, measure their success um, yeah. by, by a much wider variety of factors um, or, or, or see or, or can see that that is being done, then people bring that into their own lives. You know, there's there's more than enough people out there who just are, are so focused on, on, on money that it's 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 not beneficial to them as a person. And I guess it would. Yeah yeah as a country then that's the same thing it, it benefits that country to to really recognize what's actually good for that country um over the long term um yeah so, absolutely so what how would um how would donut economics like what is what are some of the 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 policies or what are some of the ideas that um she lays out in the book or that you you would promote like what sort of things um does she talk about um, well, I actually haven't read the book. I've only listened to the to the podcast. Okay. Um, I have it. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do your your reading, but I have basically bought twenty books that I haven't read yet because okay. I'm still reading the twenty that I bought, you know, a few few weeks ago or a few months ago, whatever whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, it's, I mean, essentially, you know, U- UBI would be a big um, would be a big part of it. So UBI um, is universal basic, basic income. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I think um, when you when you say I'm going to give uh, you know a thousand quid a month to to whoever, um, people all of a sudden balk at the idea and go, "Well, you know, I I pay way more tax than this person, and um, I, I therefore uh, either I don't want it or." they don't deserve it because I've contributed more to, to, to the economy. Um, but, but the thing is, um, I, and, and again, you know, coming back to, to Marcus Rashford, um, he, he said it really, uh, really clearly in his interview with the BBC that um, his mum was so preoccupied with, you know, working out where their, where their next meals were going to come from how on earth are you supposed to uh, think about starting a business or training yourself up to go and work uh, or work in another industry that might be you know more remunerative for you mm. um and, and akala speaks very um, very well on this topic as well um but, and, and and you know very similar points but I, I think that that if you take that um 
so so you know a good a good example of this actually is uh, thinking back to when we spoke earlier about uh, some of the programs that were in place um, uh, in the US and the UK and Europe and, and Japan and, and some other countries where um, they they were effectively you know giving money out for for free to the to the banks and trying to get them to to trickle it down the the economy, mm. um, you know why not just give it to the people that you want to spend the money in the first place? Mm. What, what's the reticence? If that's the end game, what's the difference between doing that? Do you think that the banks will, will control it better? Well, I think they've, they've possibly been shown to, to have not been able to in the past. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 my, my take on it is that if that's an idea and it's been tested, which it has, um, it's been tested in lots of different places and is currently undergoing testing in lots of other places as well. Mm. Um, if, it, if it works you know, well enough, why not just give it a go? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess that's the more conservative view of like not wanting to give this stuff a go because it's like, well, we've got to do what, what we think works or has worked yep. in the past. Or obviously, it hasn't worked. You know, it's not working to its full extent, so we need to do some sort of change. Um, yep. Yeah, I'll just sort of jump in with sort of my my sort of recent learning of uh, universal basic income. So what it basically is, um, is giving people no matter what, um, uh, I'll just use one of the examples. uh, So a thousand pounds a month. Um, So you give every single person in the country a thousand pound a month. I think there might be a limit. I think if you're earning like over like an extreme amount, then maybe don't, but let's just say it goes to everyone. Um, And my feeling of this was like, well, I stay. I stayed away from learning about it for a while just because I hadn't got around to it, and I was just thinking, well, it just plays into this um, right-wing idea that if you give people money, they work less. You know, they'll just sit sit on their laurels, and and there's no need to work because they're getting money, and therefore the economy will suffer, and then things will start to go downhill. Um, but I listened to, um, which for me is probably my favorite ever Joe Rogan um, podcast, but it's with a mm. guy called Andrew Yang. And um, I sort of metaphorically had my jaw wide open for the whole two hours, whatever they speak, because he is so, um, he, he's a guy in America, he's an American guy who ran for president. Um, and he was pushing this universal basic income. And some of the key points that that jumped out to me were um so he comes from a a position of ai and the fact that uh it's it's already taking jobs so in in american context i don't know how much it would it's affecting here i'd love to hear more english people talking about sort of universal basic income and Mm -hmm. and sort of uh, learning about uh, how ai is affecting jobs in this country um but in the context he was given sort of like the rust belt or the the the, the poorer parts and more uh, manufacturing industrial parts of America, um, AI is, is already taken over. So there's, there's uh, mm-hmm. in warehouses and stuff, it's already happened. People have lost their jobs uh, in the sort of states and areas that voted for Trump because they, they, had, they had nothing. They, they're just like, we need change. We need something. Um, they're, you know, you can imagine working in a warehouse and you're putting stuff together and it's on a conveyor belt. Now, you know, with there's just machines there's just machines they do it Mm -hmm. it quicker they do it more effectively um Mm -hmm. they do it and a hell of a lot cheaper Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's already happened um so that was one thing for me where i was like oh because i always thought of you know i heard about this thing with ai and i was like you know 
just think well it's just it's just a bit of dystopian like science fiction and yeah it's bad but it's not gonna be that bad um and then he talks about truckers in new york and how you know self-driving trucks and stuff and the thing is in these towns where these machines are taking over or in these towns where the main jobs in that area the machines are taking over um the f everything goes downhill you know suddenly the unemployment domestic violence goes up mental health problems go up um you know alcohol abuse um just all the bad stuff just starts to happen because people don't have a job they don't have money and have that money um so that was one thing that i i thought oh wow okay i think i need to learn more about you know technology and how it's it's not just a tool for good. It's it actually really could, um, not in the way of Terminator Two, but it it could, uh, in a very subtle way, just slowly edge out all these jobs. Um, and the other thing um, was, oh, I've lost it now. Um, <clears throat> I might have to come back to that. There was no, there was another Sorry. really good point with uh universal basic oh that was it um how it's fed back into the economy instantly so yep. if you imagine these towns um let's just give an english town um where uh, let's just say uh, a northern industrial town um uh, and they're let's let's not even let's just leave robots and ai out of it let's just say there's a there area where losing a lot of jobs or they're just it's just an impoverished area yeah um which every country has um, when you give people money, it's not like giving uh, a millionaire a thousand pounds because what's that millionaire going to do a thousand pounds? They're not going to be like, oh, yeah. sweet, I've got this thousand pounds. Oh, yeah. what am I going to spend it on? Um, what do I need? You know, it's just going to go in a, you know, probably an abroad, like uh, a, for a foreign, like uh, bank account where it's getting a bit of interest or whatever. If you give someone who really, you know, is hand to mouth, like struggling every day a thousand pounds um a month um it's not gonna change their lives for like massively it's not gonna make them like um uh you know it's it's gonna be a process you know not everyone can live on just a thousand pounds because their families or whatever but that is going to go straight back into the economy because they're going to be going straight to the supermarket they're going to be buying all the food they can have they're going to be paying their rent on time you know that all of this stuff will get fed straight back in and that yeah. was another thing where I thought, oh, wow, I hadn't actually thought about that. That, I mean, it's so obvious, but if you give a thousand pounds to people who really, really need it, um, it will in all likeliness go back into the economy. I guess the only thing I'd be uh, skeptical about, um, which doesn't mean we shouldn't give it a go because I feel like we definitely should, but it's just sort of people with substance abuses and things like that. Um, I don't personally give uh to homeless on the street i i think that money should go to homeless organizations who i think um i i feel more comfortable that they'll be able to decide how best to use that money um yeah. but there there is an issue with substance abuse especially people um from impoverished backgrounds um so that that's the only area where i can see some of that money going down the drain but i think that is such a small thing for the amount of good it would do I I was I was pretty from going very skeptical, just from listening yeah. to that Andrew Yang podcast. I became like, wow, okay, this is really something we need to we need to look at. Um, and and I I'm glad you brought up the, the substance abuse point actually. Um, so I read a book a few years ago 
called Utopia for Realists, which is by a Dutch economist, um, which I would recommend to, to anybody. But it's it's effectively about the the idea that um, we've sort of stopped believing in, in utopia. We've just got to a point where everything is so easy for us that we're not actually pushing on to, to try and get to the, um, you know, get, to get to the good stuff. And and what he means by that when he, when he says that um, is uh, rather than, uh, you know the good stuff being uh, you know super yachts and 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 that kind of thing. It's actually exactly what we've been talking about. So ending child poverty and and literary rates and and that that sort of stuff. Why don't why aren't we trying to do that for everybody in the world mm. rather than you know go again coming back to this GDP point gunning for this just you know imaginary growth all of the time, which we think is is going to fix everything and mm. um, fix all of the 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 ills of of society. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm conscious that I may have uh, come across as a touch on the, the cynical side, but I, I do genuinely think um, that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good out of um, UBI, which, as you, you pointed out, and, and substance abuse is actually in, the, in some of the research that's been done, um, some of the smaller scale stuff in, in the US, um, where they've taken, you know, 30 individuals who are living on the street, a lot of them are suffering with, with substance abuse. Um, and they've given them, you know, X amount per per month. Um, you know, my initial reaction would be, well, you know, we know where that's going, mm. um, uh, quite as, as, as you've pointed out. But actually in, I think, all but one of the cases, and it was, you know, it's a caveat of quite a small trial that that, um, that he quotes, um, but, but in all but one of the cases, they, uh, they'd ended up living in uh, permanent accommodation off their own bat, you know, in quotation right. marks, obviously, as a direct result of, of what they'd been given. I think the vast majority of them um, had stayed sober for X period of time. But the critical thing there, so there were, there were lots of other really good benefits from it. But the critical thing there was that they didn't just hand them a thousand pounds a month. Mm. They, hand, they gave them a thousand pounds a month. And they helped them in lots of other ways. They gave them access to, um, you know, substance abuse clinics and, um, and you know, helped them put together CVs and, and, and that sort of stuff, which we would say is pretty basic stuff, actually. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of those, ultimately, if you take the, the right, again, right wing view on this, well, mm. they want they would want every single member of society to be functioning as an economic machine, yeah. producing as much as you possibly want yeah. uh, in society. So why wouldn't you support that? Mm. I, I get that you're, you, you know, you, you might think, well, as you, as you pointed out, the, you know, they're, they're just going to um, use it on prostitutes or, or whatever the negative vice is. Mm. Um, but Perhaps if perhaps if the support was there for those people, that that might not actually be be the case. I just think it's important to to do all the other bits around the outside at the at the same time that that, that we would probably say say is quite normal anyway. Yeah, and I think one thing that you said very early on was these sort of two hundred years, one hundred years old, you know, even fifty years old things that we we I feel that is by definition surely the more conservative way of thinking um and that's why um you know i don't like to put a label on myself but i feel like my sure. views are more liberal because i i i think that there, there are some views that are more conservative that i have but uh, on the whole um i feel a lot more liberal because i think the there are there are benefits to conservatism and traditionalism but the downside which i think you've highlighted really well is 
if we don't challenge like truly challenge not just go oh this is this is not great or you know um you can imagine bringing this conversation up with someone like uh boris johnson or mm. uh well there's no point talking to trump uh, but but someone uh, a bit more you know who is more conservative that you know oh we'll look into that and then it's you know but actually these these fundamental things that are so entrenched and have just been going for so long um we need to properly scrutinize them and pull them apart and go right what's good in them what works um so gdp there is there is good in gdp and and we we need to know how much people are spending and how much people are earning and that, and all that sort of stuff is really good but what what else can we do to to improve upon this and i think yeah that's that's the problem that i have with more traditional and conservative way of thinking is not it's just that dynamism that we need that sort of moving forward and, and trying stuff out um especially when it's been like that long a time um but yeah yeah i think i think it's important i think the main thing is to to try and cross the the divide um mm. you know we're not doing a, a tremendous job of it right now because i think we we are broadly agreeing on on everything that we're that we're <laughs> saying but you know these these types of conversations that that people have mm. um joe rogan's a really good example of that i think he he gets you know whoever he possibly can onto onto his podcast and he has lots of people with lots of differing differing views in there. and 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 i think he's got a genuine thirst to try and understand where people are coming from and and try and express that to his listening uh, public as as um succinctly and, and clearly as he can mm. um I just don't think that that happens enough. Um, uh, I, I think that you have uh, people on both the right and, and left um, of, of politics in the world who are so deeply entrenched in their views and they probably don't know why. Um, and, and they don't end up talking to each other. Uh, I know you've talked about echo chambers on a previous podcast, but I do think it's such a massive issue um so what that's what do you sorry to jump in what do you think yeah. causes what do you think some of the factors that that fuel this uh i know i uh in terms of tribalism it's a biological thing and we've had it forever but mm. what what do you think as keeping or fueling some of this continued tribalism or making it making it stronger and making us feel so divided and people people have these entrenched views that they, that they don't want to challenge or discuss at length I think maybe a combination of, of two main things that mm. I, that I can think of. Um, one would be coming back to economics. It would be something in in um, what we what we would say is behavioural economics, um, which is more of a, a modern concept, but it's effectively all about the different types of biases that we we have as as people, and they go further than just economics. It's it's in everyday life, but. You know, one, one of those things that I always, always bring up is confirmation bias, mm. um, which I, I'm sure you know what it is. But mm. for anybody that doesn't, it, it's where you uh, you go out and seek information that just further goes to confirm exactly what you um, what you think. You can also then highlight that with with recency bias, which is, you know, you, you putting the most amount of emphasis on what you've heard or read most recently. So you combine those two things together. Mm. And if, if all you're hearing about is, um, uh, is, well, you know, we should invade a country um, and uh, that was your view anyway, and um, 
you uh, are going out and looking for articles which support that that view well then you're probably not going to change your mind no um no. so so i think there's um there's that combined with um uh combined with what uh social media companies are, have, have got you know take some level of, of of responsibility for which is um showing people um uh diff- differing views um you know if they if they can work out algorithms to to listen to what i'm saying and put adverts on my on my timeline or, or whatever then mm. they can work out an algorithm to to say right this person um you know, defines themselves as a UKIP voter in their in their bio. Um, they follow a load of Brexit uh, news and 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 um, and people that are that are big in that space. Well, let's you know, let's mix it up for them. Let's try and show them a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything. And that goes on both sides. You, so you know, so let, you're saying let, that they don't do that, basically. I, I don't I don't think so. Not no. not from what I've heard. I, I think I'm a fairly balanced individual. I also don't use social media a huge amount. Um but but I I I I don't see that in my own life and I don't I haven't heard it happening. Uh I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've heard this issue coming up over and over again. Um well, I guess that's... and you can see it in Facebook comments, right? If you if you go on something that's inflammatory. Um, particularly in the local media, if you go mm. on something inflammatory on either side of the, the, the debate, Brexit's the easy one because that's what's going on at the moment. But mm. um, you just see these people with, and I hate to hate to liken it back to, to the to, to the Brexiteer um, view of things, but um, because I think I don't want to get into it um, <laughs> as a result of this. But um, if, if you if you see a negative comment from somebody that's saying, uh, you know, we don't want foreign people in, in the UK. The, the amount of times that that person has, you know, will, will follow a page like Britain First or mm. um, have a Union Jack as their background. Mm. Um, it, it, all of these things combine together, which are individual data points. But for, for you can pretty much predict what, what a person's going to think. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you're I guess what you're sort of saying, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically mm. um it's so you said confirmation bias which is a psychological thing of like it's something you can notice in yourself so it's yeah um it's coming up with it's your opinion and then finding all the reasons to support that opinion as opposed to the science or the 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 great the the perfect scientific way of doing things of um uh finding the evidence and then coming up with an opinion or having an opinion then trying to disprove that opinion and then seeing how much it holds up to scrutiny and then making your decision. Um, yeah, so that's exactly. the psychological one. But it seems what you're saying with the social media is it's playing into that psychological thing with the way they do yes. things. And I would include in that uh, something that's um, a lot older than social media is uh, stuff like tabloids. Um, yes. It's yes. this, uh, you know, it's it's clickbait before clickbait became a thing. It's the yeah. big headline saying, you know, um, whatever it is, uh, foreigners must go, for example um and yeah that, and then then people are fueled into this um this way of thinking and this this echo chamber um so it's yeah so it seems like what you're saying is it's the psychological thing that we should all be aware of and um uh, and notice within ourselves and try to uh, remedy that um but also it's these outside institutions that really try to really work against any effort to to combat 
confirmation bias, I guess. Yeah, uh, de- definitely. I'd add a, a, a third in, which is definitely on the psychological side, which is just pure comfort as well. I think mm. people feel co- comfortable. You know, it, it is a very uncomfortable feeling to have have uh, a, a, an entrenched view, discuss it, and then go, well, actually, you know, what I've believed my entire life, I no longer believe, and I'm going to come out and say that mm. um, in, in, in public. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a, that's a big deal. But then, you know, conscious not to be, not to be overly cynical and, and pessimistic about, about it because it's just too easy. Mm. If you actually look at, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast is the biggest podcast in the world. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, people like Sam Harris um uh lbc now is uh, exactly lbc you know and all of these are good examples of having really balanced uh, sam harris in particular uh, he's so fierce in wanting to root out the actual facts of of something and try Mm. and understand people like well i was going to say james o'brien but then i I know there's some listeners uh one in particular that i can think of who's not gonna who's not gonna like that example but i do (laughs) i do think that people like that who have a genuine thirst to to seek out the truth and the facts in a situation um before they make their minds up that that's that sort of a thing is is actually probably more prevalent than than we're giving it credit for. It's just that that bit on the fringes where uh, I think we need to do a better job of bringing those people together, and then and then trying to to get them to find some common ground. Yeah, and I think what it shows is there, you know, like you said of it being the biggest podcast in the world, there is a thirst, and I don't think mm. it's a new thirst. I think it's a thirst that's always been there, but maybe the mm-hmm. platform to you know, if you're just that's why you know I look at. I'm so grateful for the BBC. You know, there's a lot that can be said about BBC and you can never have 100% unbiased, but I'd rather have the BBC on the TV as the number one news uh, station than be in America with Fox and CNN and MSNBC where... Agreed. Do you know what I mean? It's And, and we're, we're very lucky, I think, to have the BBC and had it, and had it for so long. Um, and I think there's always that need in people, I think, subconscious, and I'm making a generalisation, but... I feel like um, it's more of a natural interaction, isn't it? And Joe Rogan criticizes uh, just just TV now, like news channels, because of the time. Um, so the problem with headlines, the problem with clickbait is it's too simplistic. Um, and with with news channels, when they've got an interview with someone, they've got like 10 minutes to interview them and they've got to be quick and they've got to, there's no nuance. Mm-hmm. Whereas people... I think if it's a subject they really love, even if it's just sport. So, you know, if you have two people chatting about sport for a long time, um, that becomes really interesting to someone and, and hearing different sides of the argument. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you just like see a um, just a, a single sentence about why this team is awful or why this manager did this, then it's it just feeds into this sort of fighting mm-hmm. and so- mentality. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a good thing that we and i think we should be supporting the 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 outlets that are <laughs> sort of there's probably you know part of the reason that i i wanted to do this but um yeah i i really value those those sort of outlets and i think more and more people are um and it would be nice to see uh uh these other outlets that aren't as uh nuanced and um 
sort of decline a bit, um, which would be good. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Although I did find out recently that, and I don't have any more information than what I'm about to say, but mm. I did find out recently that the UK actually ranks pretty low on um, on press freedoms, which I, I, don't, I don't know how much specifically that would be to do with the BBC, although it obviously makes up a large part of, of, of the press in the UK. Mm. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're 35th in the world right. in, in terms of our press freedom, and mm. um, that's behind countries like south africa mm. ghana and uh Liechtenstein and samoa mm. um which you know i i was really surprised to, to hear that because i like you um i think we have it pretty good apart from you know some select tabloids um mm. that you know will remain nameless we have some of the tenets of of um investigative journalism uh in, in you know the guardian for example is is a tremendous organization and, and has shown it in, in terms of what it's tried to uh, uncover in the world and what it's taught people uh, yes there's a lot uh, that can be said for it in, in some other ways but ultimately it's a you know it's a private entity that's that's owned by a foundation and always has been it doesn't answer to any shareholders and um and and as i say it's uncovered some really important stuff in the world so I've always I've always carried that view as well, but I did find that surprising. I, I would um, want yeah. to know more about why. Yeah, I looked I I looked up recently. I I um I should have written a lot of it down, but um I think some of it as well was to there was like um certain things where um journalists were treated poorly, and then there was no sort of repercussions for the people that treated them that way, like violence okay. against journalists. So I think that it's quite nuanced with what they um, what they look at. I've, I've forgotten the name of the website that sort of look into it. Um, but yeah, I guess if you type in a press freedom or something. Uh, in I depth, think it's the Reporters Without Borders. That's it, yes, that's yes, it, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it was just... It was just a, a classic case of uh, when I saw the list, it was like, oh, yeah, of course, who's at the top? And it's all the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Just I for know. once, I'd like to see Norway near the bottom of the list. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is surprising. And uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated as to why that is and why, what, what constitutes good press freedom. Um, and yeah. I'd, I'd like to go into that now, but to be honest, we're, uh, we're, no, we're running enough. out of time. And. Uh, <laughs> We've, uh, we, I'm sure we'll have a lot, a lot more to chat about next time. Um, yeah, sure. Um, would you be, would you be happy to do another one? Oh yeah, definitely. I, as I say, this is something that I think is really important, and I've benefited hugely personally from from podcasts. Um, some of the, some that I've mentioned just there, and and that sort of thirst for wanting to know more and, and trying to test my. My, my views and opinions and I've, I've moved a lot on, on certain things over the last um, few years and I can only see that as a positive and, and if uh, yeah if, if, if I can sort of contribute that and uh, you know contribute to that in, in any tiny way I think that's a really that's a really good thing yeah for sure yeah and and it's been great it's um yeah I think the stuff at the start we talked about was really really interesting and there's things that Hopefully, people that <laughs> didn't switch off after you said uh, you studied economics, the people that are actually interested to find out these things um, would have stayed on. I think you know I, I learned something from it, and I and I hope other people will too. Um, and then yeah, the, the discussions we had. Um, so yeah, and and I'll say to anyone out there, um, what I love, and I'm I'm sure you'd be the same, Phil, is people with strong opinions. So 
if anyone's got a strong opinion about any of the stuff we discussed or anything else um please give me an email at danjbrownuk at gmail.com uh, it'd be great to have you on um to to voice your strong opinion and uh and and get it out there and maybe i'll challenge it maybe i'll agree um but uh yeah just uh thanks a lot phil it's it's been really good no i, pre- I appreciate it thanks a lot for your time Dan. okay take it easy cheers